few years ago, my wife Susan was in Asheville, North Carolina, and she went to visit the Billy Graham Homestead and Library, which features a series of displays documenting the life and ministry of Billy Graham. There was one tape of an old interview with Dick Cavett. Some of you may remember the Dick Cavett show. And in this show, where Dick Cavett interviews various celebrities and famous people, he was interviewing Billy. And he said to Bill, how can you Christians say that little children are sinful? Right, he's got them, right? He'll never get out of this one. Billy's answer? Does anyone ever need... No, I won't try to do that. Does, does anyone ever need to teach a child how to be naughty? Of course not. You have to teach them to be good. Perfect. Naughty comes natural. And yet, paradoxically, God made us good. And he made us good to be good. Our original purpose from the Garden of Eden, and this remains our purpose even after our fall into sin, God's intentions for us haven't changed, but our purpose originally was to reflect the image of God, the likeness with which all humans are indelibly stamped. Nothing can destroy or eliminate the image of God in every single human being. Each of us, whether sinner or saint, is a little mirror reflecting the majesty, the wonder, and the love of our Creator and King. Made to be good, but by our own willfully chosen rebellion against God, we are doomed to be bad. So, when we are bad, what do we do? We pretend we're not. We hide, we cover up, we turn out the lights. Yet, when we do something right, something good, something praiseworthy, commendable, We flip on the switch. We want to find that spotlight, grab the microphone, take the stage. At least I do. Jesus, our Lord, our Master, our Teacher, our Savior, obviously encourages and nurtures and enables our desire to be good. We all want to be good. And Jesus, and I love this, does not fault us 
for wanting to have our good deeds acknowledged and appreciated. He doesn't come down on us for that. The Lord doesn't wag his finger tutting us for seeking or desiring applause or acknowledgement or recognition or reward. On the contrary, because Jesus has a thoroughly biblical understanding of people, he realized that this longing to be seen, even sought out, this desire to be recognized, appreciated, and applauded, that desire is put into us by God. It's part of his image reflected in all of us. We all reflect this desire, this need to be acknowledged. We desperately want God to be proud of us. Do we not? He's our Heavenly Father. And every child longs for and seeks his or her dad's approval and praise and pride. And every good father delights to give that praise and approval. So this morning's passage, as we continue moving through the Sermon on the Mount together, affirms that there is nothing at all amiss in us desiring and longing for and seeking out recognition and appreciation and affirmation and applause and praise. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be praised, which for me is a huge relief. For deeds, good deeds, well done. The hypocrite and the humble, the sinner and the saint, all of us crave approval. The only real question is, what's the best way to get it? How can we win the greatest quantity and the highest quality of heartfelt, genuine, meaningful affirmation and praise for what we have done well? And we're not talking about that empty, manipulative, flattery junk that so many are so skilled at dishing out these days. We're talking, we want the real deal. The kind of praise that sticks, that digs down deep and changes how we feel about ourselves and our value and our worth. That's what I want. Are you with me? Okay. Jesus, as always, shows us the way to get the praise we really want. 
So before we open the word of the Lord together this morning, take a moment to consider, call this a pre-application before we dive into the scriptures. How, where in your life are you seeking, even to the point of trying to manipulate others to get approval, affirmation? Praise. Let's bring that legitimate, God-given need to his word. We're reading this morning from Matthew. So we're, we're approaching the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 6. Verses 1 through 18. We're going to read straight through this because that's what I feel like doing. And you'll notice the, this, this is our thematic verse, which you'll, you'll hear three times in this little passage. Um, it's on the screen in the NIV version because I like that better. But you'll see it here as we read through um, in the Standard Bible version together. So it's page 859, the word of the Lord. Let's remember Jesus is in the middle of this extensive sermon, um, and he's, pay attention to the, the contrast. He's speaking directly and specifically to his disciples, his followers, These guys do it this way. You are to do it that way. Okay. The word of the Lord. Be careful. Remember, this is two disciples. So we're, we're in this. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father in heaven. So, whenever you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be applauded by people. But when you give to the poor, Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your father, so that your giving, see that's the NIV coming out in me, so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Verse 5, whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people truly I tell you they have their reward but when you pray go into your private room shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you when you pray don't babble like the Gentiles since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words don't be like them Because your father knows the things you need before you ask him. Therefore, you should pray like this. 
Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive others their offenses, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. But if you don't forgive others, your Father will not forgive your offenses. Verse 16. Whenever you fast, don't be gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces so that their fasting is obvious to people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that your fasting isn't obvious to others, but to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. The word of the Lord. Or did you know, you wouldn't unless you're interested in these things like I am, that you can purchase your very own electric applause sign. <laughs> Amazon's got them for starting at $20. You go way up, hundreds of dollars if you want. I have priced them. I'm considering gifting one to Holden Chapel, right up there, maybe below the screens on either side. Uh, you, you, have, you get a remote button, so the remote button would be up here in the pulpit. You just hit that, it lights up. Trouble is, if I did get one for you people, and I pressed it at all the right moments, of course, Pastor Tom would never use it. And you were to cooperate by giving me the response I'm looking for. Well, that's it. That's all I get. You know, when the, when the thunderous clapping finally subsides and fades into the distance, it's gone for good. And... I forfeit the praise I would have received from my Heavenly Father. Each one of these three examples that Jesus cites, giving, prayer, fasting, these were essential elements, critical ingredients in the first century practice of Judaism. Every Jew who was serious about God was expected to do these things. Jesus did these things. So naturally, he wants his followers to be regularly doing exactly the same things that he was regularly doing. But he wants us doing them For the benefit of an entirely different audience than the audience of all those other very religious people. So let's take these one at a time. 
giving. It's the first one. Now, I would argue that it's always a good thing for anyone, believer or not, to be generous. No matter what the motivation is. Even if it's just so I could light up my applause sign. There is no punishment. There is no penalty if I am waving my four, five, or six-figure check around before I drop it in the box. That was a joke, you realize. (laughs) But if I do that, I have already received all the praise and recognition and appreciation that I am going to get. That's why, that's why Jesus doesn't want me to do it that way. He wants me to get so much more and so much longer and louder and better applause than any paltry amount you guys could give me. He wants me to enjoy the highest accolades one can ever possibly receive from anyone ever. And he wants the same for all of his children in front of the largest audience ever to be assembled to receive the perfect reward from the one and only one whose praise really counts and matters. And so, I am encouraged by Jesus to give generously in secret so that only God and I know I'm doing it undercover, not because I'm ashamed or embarrassed, but because I want my praise from him. I don't want to lose that. And I believe God for that applause, that praise, that pat on the back, that well done, good and faithful servant. I'm going to believe God for that, to give that to me in his time, in his way, whatever that looks like. I don't care. I want it from him. And you know what? It delights God when we save up (laughs) that praise we all want so desperately. We save it up for him to give it to us. That makes him so happy. Say nothing of what it will do for us if we'll just wait. So the next category that Jesus addresses is prayer or spirituality. I once spent a summer uh, devouring a book. It's called Answering God, the Psalms as Tools for Prayer. Highly recommend it. It's by Eugene Peterson. This is from his introduction to the book. Quote, In the business of being human, every distinctive human behavior requires tools. There's a bunch of tools up there for various things. 
Farming, this is Peterson again. Cooking, building, creating, learning, loving, believing, obeying. Some tools, he goes on, are made of wood, others of metal, and still other tools of words. Prayer is just such a tool. And the Psalms are the requisite toolbox, the best tools available for working the faith. Now, the Jewish people of the first century, of which Jesus was a part, prayed very standardized, rote prayers. We don't do that very often in our traditions, but they did. Mainly the Psalms, but also others, which Jesus prayed as well. That's how Jesus learned to pray. And he is about to introduce to us in this passage another formulaic prayer for us, his disciples, because that's how we too must learn to pray with tools, with word tools. So the problem here, again, in the second example that Jesus uses, is, lies not with where or how or when or what we pray. But to whom we are speaking. Both the hypocrites and the pagans that Jesus cites here, which would be everybody else other than his own disciples, they're talking, they're using word tools. Some of them are good. But they're using them for their own audiences and not for or to God. Which is, Jesus says, too bad. It's not evil, it's just like it's a shame. Because all they're going to get for those prayers, even if they're Bible prayers, all they're going to get are their own flashing applause signs. Verse 8, Jesus says, do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask him. And your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. It's like the Lord's prayer is the Lord's prayer. It's a standard rote prayer. We all know it. We learned it as kids. We teach it to our kids. And as long as we're praying that with God as our audience, all is well. And that's how we learn. Jesus' third example is fasting. One of my absolute favorite spiritual disciplines. That too is a joke. <laughs> Little kids in France can't get ketchup in school anymore. Except once a week when guess what is served? French fries, yes. Then they can have ketchup. It's part of France's national fight against childhood obesity. 
imposed fasting doesn't count here for what Jesus is talking about. This kind of fasting represents any form. And it, it really, I, I believe it's any form. It's not just not eating for a certain period of time or not eating certain foods for a period of time. Any kind of voluntary self-sacrifice that is willingly undertaken to just get God's attention. It's like, God, I really need this. I'm really serious about this. I really can't figure this out. So I'm going to fast from X, Y, Z, whatever it is. It's that voluntary surrender of something just to be able to hear God more clearly. So whenever you do that, Jesus says to us, whenever you really, you're just giving something up so you can hear from God. And it hurts. It's hard. I hate fasting. But Jesus says, fake it. Hide it. Pretend you're not even doing it. Make yourself look happier and healthier and better than you actually feel by depriving yourself of whatever it is. So, friends, here's the whole point of doing or being good in secret. The whole point in just not advertising that, it's to get a better reward it's not because it's bad to want people to applaud us it's like don't don't settle for that get the best wait for the best from God I call this holy selfishness I don't want to rob God my heavenly father of his joy in declaring before all of creation his approval of me in Christ. I don't want to prevent him from expressing to all of the angels and heavenly beings and all the created things ever made that he's proud of me, that he delights over me. That his glorious love and reward is upon me. His personal bestowing of this reward, whatever it might be, on me. He wants to do that. He doesn't want to be taking that away from him by punching my applause sign. Every time I'm feeling a little insecure or unappreciated. He wants to do it himself in front of all of you people and everything else that he's ever made. And he wants the same for you. As a a very young pastor, I discovered uh, a book by A.W. Tozer. It was called The Pursuit of God. And I remember absolutely nothing from this book. Except for one line out of which the Holy Spirit crafted a lifelong, multi-purpose prayer for me. Only God has counted how many times I have used this prayer. I've had to pray this. This is what it is. 
Lord. Waiting for the slide to come up. Come with me. There we go. Lord, grant me the grace to promote you at my expense rather than promoting myself at yours. Because you can't have both, children of God. It's one or the other. Someone is going to be put forward. It's either going to be us or him. And as a young pastor, so much of what I was doing for God or wanted to do for God or was trying to do for God, I wasn't really doing for God. I was really doing it for guess who? So I would look good. I would be considered a successful, effective, charismatic pastor that everybody would flock to hear. And then I could move up the recognition ladder and get bigger and better pulpits as my fame spread far and wide. I'm sorry, people. God had to knock me on the ground when I saw just how much of what I was doing for God was not for God. It was for me. So let us together ask the Lord, each one of us, to help us see in our thinking and in our interactions with one another who who is my real audience? Who am I really trying to impress here? And let's determine to seek our praise, our reward, our recognition, and our acknowledgement, our value, our worth, from him instead. I mean, I love getting it from you guys. But not at the expense of sacrificing it from him. Amen. Glory to the Lord.